When I was a kid, I barely remember this, my dad took us to the Great Lakes because I was born in Michigan. Not, I was raised in Alabama, hallelujah, but I was born in Michigan, armpit of the world, Detroit. And my dad, when I was under the age of five, he would get us together and we'd go fishing. But fishing there was different than fishing in Alabama because we weren't bass fishing and enjoying you know, 75 degree weather or 90 degree weather, well, more like 105 degree weather. It was freezing. And so dad would take us ice fishing. Who does that? Crazy people up north. So I remember as a little dude looking out and thinking, this is like Walmart parking lot, but they were all parked on the Great Lakes. Literally, Lake Erie was froze over to the point you could park your cars on it. Hundreds of cars out there. That's crazy. That's why there's so many ships in the bottom and probably cars in the bottom of, of the Great Lakes because they, it's estimated 5,000 ships are in the bottom of the Great Lakes. 30,000 people have lost their lives because of the shipwrecks just in the Great Lakes alone. I never knew that. It's terrifying to think. But the shipwreck life of people outweighs that. There's millions and millions of people throughout history that have shipwrecked lives. And even I'd say in this room right now, there's people dealing with a shipwrecked life. And there's been millions of people that feel like, not only do I have a shipwrecked life, but is there any hope or recovery for this? You're probably thinking, what in the world is a shipwrecked life? What does it look like? So I'm going to be very symbolic and clear about this. I believe a shipwrecked life looks like a castaway. You feel all alone, so think about your life for just a minute and you can evaluate to see, am I dealing with a shipwrecked life? You literally feel like almost to an extent of a, an outcast. Nobody truly understands where I'm at, what I'm going through, and they, don't not, they do not get it. They do not get what I'm thinking. They do not get what I'm feeling. I literally feel like an outcast and a castaway all merged into one. You there? Shipwrecked life is somebody that's starving. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. They are so hungry and they can't really put their finger on what they're hungry for. Now, I will say this. For Christians, it's a little different than a non-Christian. I think a non-Christian doesn't realize they're starving for Jesus Christ to fulfill them. That's the Holy Spirit who comes in and dwells within us and changes our life. But for the Christian... You're starving for something else. You, you have those moments that you can't explain where you're literally so emotional, so stressed, that you can't figure out why. Like, why am I unhappy right now? Financially, I'm doing just fine. I have friends and I have family and I should be happy, but I can't put my finger on why I'm starving for something. Maybe it's peace or friendship or maybe you're starving for love. And I'm not talking about a relationship with, with somebody. I'm talking about just love in general. Just somebody to love me for who I am. And you're starving. That's a shipwrecked life. At least elements of it. <clears throat> Hopelessness is another part of it. I mean, you're to a point where you're like, there's no hope. I'm so far gone, there's no way I can get help. Either in my addiction or my family situation or just my mental my mental state of mind, or how about this, physically, physically, I am just so far gone, there is no recovery. I've met some elderly people, and even people that weren't elderly that were dealing with physical problems, and they're like, there is no recovering from this, and my life is hopeless and miserable. 
So my question for you is simply this. Do you have a shipwreck life? Because today we're going to answer some questions. And there's two things you must learn with me and understand. And that is this. How to prevent a shipwreck life and how to survive a shipwreck life. Um, Today we're going to answer those questions and rescue some people I think that are suffering from a shipwreck life. Or maybe they're just on the verge of one. They're not quite there yet. and It doesn't look really good uh, what's coming in the future for them. But they can see that there's danger ahead. Because today we're going to continue our series. And we're talking about survival skills, essentials for navigating the Christian life. Because if you are one of those people that think the Christian life is easy breezy, then maybe you just became a Christian because it gets difficult, okay? I'm not trying to be a downer, and I'm not trying to be discouraging, but I'm not going to be cliche and say, it is just a bed of roses. You're going to love it. Satan, punch you in the face. We're going to charge hell with a squirt gun. It don't work that way. It will never work that way because life is a battle as a Christian, and so it gets hard. And I'm going to tell you, when you're in a battle and you're just going through it, you've got to learn some survival skills. So today... We're going to learn how to survive a shipwreck life. But before we get to there, we're going to talk about how to prevent a shipwreck life. Over 2,000 years ago, there's an account of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27 where he had a shipwreck. And it's the craziest account you'll ever read in Scripture because it's so detailed. His journaling is amazing, how it's all explained. But before he ever got there to that point, he, he stood before King Agrippa. And he gave his testimony and how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Woo! And they were listening, really listening. Not just the king, but those amongst the king. And then he he talked about his mission and what God has called him to do and what he's planning on doing. Well, the king was really intrigued, but the king said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You didn't convert me, you didn't sway me, but almost you convinced me of the truth. And he rejected it. And from there, because of the rejection, Paul was taken and imprisoned. And he was going to be sent to Rome to stand trial for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But on his route to Rome, while he was on the ship, it, uh, it, it, it wrecked. And he had this shipwreck because according to Acts chapter 27 verse 41, they hit a sandbar. And they were stuck to the point that the whole ship started to fall apart because the waves were beating against the ship. Now, this is what I want to do. Because I love expository preaching and pulling in a very symbolic picture. Today, I want to do this. I want to answer two questions. How to prevent a shipwreck life and how to survive one. So if you can stay with me, stay focused, all right? Even if you have to take a break, go grab your coffee. You really need this, okay? So sit up and just clear your mind for just a minute. Um, I I want to answer these questions by looking at the account, the physical account of Paul's shipwreck, and I'm going to compare it to our spiritual shipwreck life. And so before we begin, I want to help you clear your mind. We're going to do it this way. Just bow with me for just a minute. And I just want you to do this. Evaluate your condition and where you're at right now. I don't care if you're young, old, millennial, Gen Z, elderly, whatever you want to define yourself as, it doesn't matter to me. All that matters to me right now is, where are you? Are you shipwrecked or are you on the verge of a shipwrecked life? Now, you could have a thousand things running through your mind right now and you're very exhausted, maybe. 
You've had a long day already. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But can you keep your mind alert and seek the answer you need because it's straight from Scripture and I believe it's going to help you. So if you're with me and you've evaluated yourself right now, am I shipwrecked or am I on the verge, then you're ready for this message. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we completely commit this to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we're praying, Lord, that you'll bless during the service, that everybody will have clarity of mind, and that they'll be focused and aware of what we're talking about. In Jesus' name, amen. In the early hours of April 15th, 1912, off the coast of Newfoundland, Something horrific happened in the Atlantic Ocean. The North Atlantic Ocean had the Titanic, the luxury steamship that was sailing. And it came directly in uh, a direction that drifted to the point that they met face to face with an iceberg. Something totally unexpected. There was 2,240 people on board, these passengers, and out of them, 1,500 people perished and lost their lives to this horrific disaster. Bodies laying in the cold North Atlantic Ocean, floating everywhere, screaming for help. But there was no help that came for a long period of time. Why? Was it preventable? I believe it was. Was it possible for these people in the ship to be spared? The answer is yes. According to historians, they've discovered by research that there was key elements that could have prevented the ship from wrecking. The Titanic didn't have to go down. This didn't have to happen. Let me say this in Acts 27, we're giving the detailed account of Paul's shipwreck experience and there's a chilling resemblance between the Titanic and the shipwreck of Paul. And this is interesting. For a matter of fact, it, it, there's two reasons why, specific reasons why, the Titanic sunk. And those same two reasons are why the ship that Paul was on sunk. And I believe this. They're the same reasons people have shipwrecked lives today. In order to prevent a shipwrecked life, there has to be two things you must do. Are you all listening? Because this is point number one. How to prevent a shipwreck life. This is it. You have to heed warning. Let me say it again. You have to heed warning. It's documented that the captain, Captain Smith, ignored at least seven iceberg warnings from other ships nearby. It was his last voyage. He was going to retire after this. I don't know if it was pride and arrogancy that entered the heart of John, but here's the reality. This man at that very moment made a decision to not heed warning. In Acts Acts chapter 27 and verse 9, Paul started to evaluate the situation. And he's like, man, this is getting bad. This is dangerous. This is not good. And because of that, he approached the men in verse 10. And he says, men, sirs, I perceive this voyage is not going to end well. He said, There is danger ahead, and it is so bad that I believe we're going to lose the ship, lose the supplies, and even our lives, according to the end of verse 10. But this is funny to me because I see this with so many people that I meet. Verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion, 
the, the centurion that's over the guard of, uh, uh, and over all the soldiers and over all these numerous men that are on there that are uh, in captivity being brought to Rome, believe the master, the shipmaster, and the owner of the ship. So in other words, he believed the captain and he believed the owner, that they are right and Paul is wrong because the owner is like, hey, man, this is, is, everything's good. We ain't going down. And the captain is like, no, I got this. It's much like the Titanic. They, they said not even God himself can sink this ship. No, this is <laughs> unsinkable. And here they are hearing warning but not heeding the warning. You know what it is to heed? It's a lot different than listen. Heeding means you listen and you obey. You heed by hearing, hey, this is bad, and you obey and not do it. Have you ever met somebody that you've told them truth and you're like, hey, listen, um, this is a bad idea. And they're like, oh, all right. And they bypass everything you just said. <laughs> How many of you have kids? Raise your hand. If they haven't done that yet, they will, okay? That's just the reality. I, I wish I had the video. I do have the video. We didn't play it, but the One Chip Challenge, Christian, yesterday. If you don't know what the One Chip Challenge is, it's the hottest chip, considered the hottest chip in the world. And I said, Christian, we're not going to do that. I think it's a bad idea. People went to the hospital because they did. It's like, Dad, I'm going to do it. I'm like, you know, finally, I, I watched a few videos. We saw some old people did it. We said we saw some kids do it. Didn't end well for them. But I said, just do it. And so he did it. Him and Sean, they both did it. Sean's not here. I wonder why. But <laughs> Sean's puking up his guts. Christian about died and probably drank a gallon of milk trying to ease the pain of his tongue. And he said, my stomach inside just feels swirl. You know what I wanted to say? Too bad. Because I warned you, and you did not heed the warning. I'm a horrible parent. Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> but, hey, he did it. And he thought, man, this is great. At the moment, he was putting it in his mouth. Heeding warning prevents danger. Let me say this. I've seen people where I'm like Paul saying, hey, sailors, there's a danger ahead, like he said in verse 9. This is not a good idea. And I say it right during marital counseling. This is not a good idea. But they sail anyway in the direction they shouldn't. Entering into a dangerous relationship is the worst thing you can do when somebody's saying, hey, take heed, warning, that's a bad idea. That's a dangerous relationship. How about dangerously raising your children? Dangerously raising your children. Where they dominate the home and you don't run it. Train up a child in the way they should go. <laughs> And then you got that kid that, oh, I just feel like, you know, it's just better off to keep peace. We just don't want to deal with it. Danger. Hello? Danger. You say, well, figure we could just have discussions. Discussions. Dus discussions without discipline is a bad idea. They go hand in hand. This you shouldn't have done. That was a bad idea, Josh. You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> There's consequences now for what you've done. Well, I want to do it this way. No, we're not going to do it that way. And if you do it that way, there's consequences. So heed my warning. I, I've seen people so often, they, they, there's dangerous parenting, there's dangerous living. I mean, they're living on the edge. I'm a hypocrite when it comes to that. I mean, I told you, I, I think it's been a couple of months ago, I went to Hawking Hills and there's signs everywhere, stay on the trail, stay on the trail. Warning. Warning, stay on the trail. And the greatest warning came from my wife. That's a bad, that's a bad idea. And so I got off the trail because I thought it was a good idea. It's adventurous. It's fun. You're a stick in the mud. 
And I had this big log. I think you guys heard me tell this story, but I'm going to tell it again because maybe you can learn from it. And it was like six feet off the ground, and it was extended between one, two different rocks. And I was on it, and it was slippery, and I didn't know it was slippery. And I'm acting all stupid for my friend that was there that I went to college with and Christian. And, and I just thought, I got this. And then it, would just, it just dawned on me, I don't have this. I'm slipping. No, I'm not slipping. I am falling. And I fell six feet flat on my booty. And it felt like my spine snapped in half. And I'm like, I'm going to die. They're going to have to fly me out of here. I, I'm, I'm done. It's over. And you know what the first thought came in my mind? It wasn't the fact that I could be in a wheelchair. It's the fact that my, my wife spoke reason into my life. And I did not heed. And now I have to deal with this for six months, agonizing pain. And I still have the scars because I ripped up my leg on the way down. Heeding warning prevents danger. You, you want to know how to prevent a shipwreck life? Heed warning. Heeding warning it helps you from loss. Some people are like, I just lost my marriage. I wonder why you lost your marriage. Did you lose it? Because it was a horrific Horrible situation, which happens. Abuse, cheating, adultery. Or was it, was it something that you've done? That because you lost that because you didn't listen and heed warning. Paul said in verse 21, he stood in the midst of the men after everything hit the fan. And he literally says, sirs, you should have listened unto me. You should have hearkened to what I was saying. And now at the end of verse 21, We've gained harm and loss. Why? Because we didn't heed to warning. How to prevent a shipwreck life? You have to stay the course too. You don't, you don't want a shipwreck life? Well, stay the course. See, the Titanic had an opportunity to stay the course. But one of the ship crewsmen paid uh, attention to something he shouldn't have. He paid attention to the fact that there was two different steering order systems and he became confused because in that moment he was so alarmed by what they were saying to turn that he turned in the wrong direction and hit the iceberg directly. Why? Because he didn't stay the course. Paul went through the same thing in Acts chapter 27 verse 15. The Bible says that the ship caught wind and it was so aggressive that we just let her drive. In other words, we just let her go. Just let her go. I mean, we're just going to drift. And before you knew it, it led them in a direction that completely shipwrecked them. I'm going to say, if you don't want to shipwreck life, if you want to prevent it from happening, heed warning, but stay the course. Don't drift in the wrong direction. Let me tell you how Paul said it in Ephesians 4.14. He said, listen, you're not children anymore. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have developed that relationship, you should be mature enough, and he said it this way, I love this, not to be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You need to have a firm foundation. You need to understand that there's going to be cunning craftiness that people will have, and they're going to pull you in and try to deceive you. But you need to have wisdom and knowledge and not just drift whatever direction. Because that drifting prevents you from being effective as a parent. That drifting, that inconsistency, prevents you from having a solid, beneficial relationship because your relationship before you're married will start drifting in sexuality and some things, uh, sexual relationships and things you shouldn't be doing. And before you know it, you're shipwrecked and in a position that you never thought you would ever be. Let's move on. 
Second, how to survive a shipwreck life. This is the most important part of the whole message. We're just going to continue following what Paul went through. How to, how to survive a shipwreck life starts in Acts chapter 27 and verse 20. And that's very important for you to understand where they're at because he looked up in the sky and he said, we had not seen stars or the sun in many, many days, which brought us to the point where we felt as if all hope was taken away. All hope was gone. It's, it's over. If you want to survive a shipwreck life, don't lose hope. Stay with me, okay? Can you all stay with me? Don't lose hope when all hope is on. I'm like, how do you not lose hope when you're dealing with the most horrific scenarios? you got to keep encouraged. I know that's difficult, but Paul said in Acts chapter 27 that he couldn't even see the sun. He couldn't see the stars. It looked like everything was coming to a close. All hope was gone, but he kept encouraged because in verse 22, just a few verses later, He says to the men, I exhort you to be of good cheer. He said, man, stay encouraged. There's over 250 men on board. Stay encouraged. Don't lose your wit. Stay focused. Stay encouraged. Because you've got to remember it's not over yet. He said this in verse 22. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you. Nobody's going to die. Stay encouraged because it's not over yet. I quit too soon. Sometimes I quit before I even started. Y'all did the race just, what was it, yesterday? I went on a 5K like three weeks ago. James McGarvey was there, right? It might have been a month ago. James McGarvey's there. He's doing traffic and security and this and that, you know, James thing. And um, I said, how far down do you have to go? And he's like, about two miles. I said, really? You're going to like do traffic two miles down and then that's where they go? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, can I get a ride? <laughs> He's like, sure. So I rode two miles in his car. And then I got out. Yeah, don't, uh, they, listen, it was, I'm not a runner, okay? I was two miles ahead of everybody. And I uh, got out, and I got on the sidewalk, did a little, little, little stretch. Got to have a little stretch, right? <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. It was within 10 minutes or less, this, this lady come flying by me. I'm like, I'm too, I'm, Two miles ahead of you. How is this even possible? It got worse. I cut some serious corners. I'm two miles ahead of everybody. And I'm about 20 minutes just kind of doing a little bit of a walk, a little bit of a jog, doing my thing, breathing properly, stretching properly. And the old people start passing me. Two people over the age of 66 passed me. I think one was in his 70s, Robin Rice. And he passed me. He's sweating, but he wasn't stopping. He just kept on going. I'm thinking, how is this possible? I finished in like, I don't know, 75th place, and I cheated. I mean, who does that? I'll tell you this. <laughs> I didn't even want to be there. I quit before I even got out of the car to show up. I feel like what's happening too often is we can't stay encouraged because we, we quit before it even starts. We don't even try. It's just too much. Even when we know the truth. And here's the truth. To be encouraged, you have to understand it's not over, but also remember who you are. Paul says this. I'll tell you why it's not over yet. Because an angel came to me last night of the God who I belong to. 
Hey, that says so much. I mean, it wasn't just an angel that appeared. He said, I belong to the God that angel serves. He said, I'm going to stay encouraged. You know why he's staying encouraged? It's simply this. He's staying encouraged because he remembered who he belonged to. Whose I am, as the Bible says. And not only that, who I serve, he also said. He goes a little further than just who I serve. The Bible tells us in verse 24 that he told me that I have to stand before Caesar, Augustus. I will finish this course. You You want to stay encouraged when you feel hopeless? You need to remember who you are, who you serve, and don't forget it's not over. As long as there's breath in your body, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. I went to Donna's house, a lady that goes to fellowship, Donna Tenney, sweetest lady. She's just really been through it all of her life with lung problems and this disorder. And she's sitting on the couch, and we did this sweet wedding renewal. Tony did the wedding renewal. I stood there in video, and I watched as Mike sat next to her and held her hand and gave her a kiss. Fifty years of marriage. They didn't think she would live to see Saturday. She's dying. But Mike and Donna said, no matter what, we're going to have our wedding renewal because it ain't over yet. Donna gave me the sweetest hug, kiss on my forehead. I don't know why people kiss my forehead because I'm bald, I guess. But she gives me a kiss on the forehead, and she's just so happy. How can a dying woman that's going to say goodbye to 50 years of marriage be happy? Because she knows and encouraged herself, she knows who she serves, she knows who she belongs to, and it's not over yet. If you're three weeks in your marriage, six years into your marriage, five years in your marriage, and you feel like it's already over, suck it up, buttercup. It ain't over. You're just giving up too soon. Don't bypass. Don't jump in the car, go two miles ahead, and think it's going to work out because you've done it your way. It don't work that way. If you want to survive a shipwreck life, don't lose hope. Keep encouraged, but you got to listen to truth, you know? He said, I believe God in verse 25. He said, I know what he told me, and I believe him. Man, i got to just listen to truth. I'm tired of listening to everybody's opinion. If I want to stay encouraged, I don't care what everybody thinks, you know? Me and Tony were talking about Pastor Tony from Fellowship about statistics when it comes to new churches. And I was like, man, statistically, they say, da-da-da-da-da. Statistics say, da-da-da-da-da. And that's what they say about finances. And this is what they say about church attendance. And this is what they say about two, three years in. You know what Tony said to me? Statistics is not truth. He said, break the statistics and just keep on doing what God has called you to do. And you'll see things much different. You know, here's the thing. Tony is not a man of wisdom. He's my brother. (laughs) But at that very moment, I was like, oh, Solomon, I don't know what just happened here. But you are right. I need to listen to truth. You know how you encourage yourself, guys? Stop listening to everybody outside of truth. I think there's some in here like, oh, we're going down. Well, you just had an angel stand before you last night that came from God himself and said you're not. Well, what if it wasn't a real angel? Was it, what, what if it was just my imagination? And you evaluate and you analyze and you overexamine and you're miserable because that's the way you live your life. 
Like, I just don't know. I just don't know. Come on, man. Come on. It just sounded like Joe Biden. Come on. You've got to reevaluate the way you're looking at life and who you're listening to. All right, watch this. If you're going to survive a shipwrecked life, don't lose hope, but don't jump ship. This is so amazing. There's Acts chapter 27, verse 30. Some of the guys on the ship, some of the, uh, it, wasn't the it wasn't the soldiers, it, it wasn't the prisoners, it was <clears throat> some of the men that were working on the ship. Um, I don't know what you call them, ship people? I don't know. Help me out with that later. What? The crew. The crew. Let's go with the crew. They acted as if they were dropping anchors, right? They were, they were dropping the, the boat to get to shore. They were literally lowering it and sneaking around the corner as if they're dropping the anchors. This is so funny to me. And so here's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with these guys that were just told, we're going to be okay, stick with it. But they're jumping ship. And, and the, the interesting thing about that is Paul says in the very next verse, verse 31, Paul said in the centurion, the captain of the guard, except these men abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. They got to get back in the boat or it ain't going to work. You know what? I think the reason why so many churches fail is because people jump out before they were supposed to. Not saying they should at all. But they're abandoning ship before the ship even gets to sail. It's like, I just don't know. It's like, what, what? don't jump ship. And so Paul said, I already told you, everything's cool. Keep them in the boat. Don't quit. Don't jump ship. Jumping ship is quitting. It's quitting. So these guys are like, there's got to be a better way. You ever watched a scary movie? Stephen loves scary movies. No, that's a lie. He hates them. So watch one with him this Friday night. I think he'll really enjoy it in honor of Halloween. But it's always that guy in the movie when everything looks like it's bad enough. I mean, it's just horrible. There's this horrific fog outside or there's this creepy monster, you know, lurking in the woods or this guy with a, a ski mask or, and he has either a blade or an axe or something. And the one guy's like, man, I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving. I'm going out there. Like, we're in a safe place right now. Why would you leave? And like, no. And no matter who speaks reason to them, they're like, I'm out of here. And they're the first one that dies. In the shark movies, in the slasher movies, every movie, they're the first one that dies. And Paul's like, listen, Satyrian, not only are they going to be dead very shortly, but we're all going to die because we have to stay together and obey what God has told us to do. If you don't want to shipwreck life, if you want to survive from it, you want to make it, don't lose hope, but you better not jump ship because jumping ship means you quit. Jumping ship is simply this too. It's just not believing. It's just not believing. Paul said that he believed God because he had a relationship with God. I think a lot of people struggle believing God because I don't know if I can say they really have a relationship with God the way they should, and that messes things up. I don't want to stop there because it's interesting as Paul continues this. He says it this way. When you are on the ship and we're staying together and we're keep on keeping on, we are showing that we believe in what God said. When the boat starts to sink and you get out of the boat and you think you have a better way, you'll soon find out that the grass is not greener on the other side. Just because the boat is sinking doesn't mean you get, need to get out of the boat just yet. It's not over till it's over. I'll tell you this, <laughs> you got to hang on. Don't let go, don't give in. 
When I was growing up in Alabama, Alabama stories, they're always great, right? Someone's a little embarrassing. I don't know if I should say it. I debated on it. We might cut it from the uh, podcast. But um, my brother Denny, if you know my brother Denny, he's an interesting character. My brother Denny got a boat, and he loved the boat. He says, let's go to Smith Lake. It's a huge lake. It's a beautiful lake. Miles and miles of lake. Deepest lake in, I think, North Alabama. Cliffs and beautiful hills. So let's go. Yeah. We're teenagers. Bubba, my best friend growing up, Tony, and Denny. We get on this boat. We know nothing about speed boats, bass boats, pontoon boats, nothing about boats. Neither did Denny. So we get out on the water, and we're on this water, the, the, the Smith Lake, for a long period of time. And then within a short period of time, when we were at this specific location, we realized that there's police on the water. What? There's police on the water? Why would police be on the water? Well, we found out very quickly why police are on the water, because they stopped us. Because my friend Bubba had this idea to sit on the front of the boat. Is that called the bay of the boat? I don't know. And he had a rope, and he's swinging the rope, and he's yelling eight seconds while we're flying down this river, this lake. And, the, and then and they pull us over, if you could pull your, somebody over in the, in the lake. And they stopped us, and they start evaluating everything we're doing. There's no floaty on the key. There's no oars, no life jackets. You're not a, it's not even a registered boat, and you don't have a license to even, have, to even run the boat, you know? If I'm even saying that right, I just remember it was a horrible situation. You know what the police officer said? He said, I don't even know what kind of ticket to give you. I'm just going to call it a ticket for being stupid. You guys are just stupid people. And he, so, so he gives us the ticket, and we're stupid enough to say, we already got a ticket. What? So let's stay. So we stayed on the water. Next thing you know, I'm getting somewhere. The boat starts taking on water. We couldn't even figure out, why is our boat sinking in the middle of Smith Lake? It was not only sinking, but the gas was leaking. Tony says, I got gas burns on my feet. He said, there's water and gas merging and mixing in the bottom of the boat. We're sinking in the middle of the lake. And this is a huge lake, by the way. So Denny's like, I'm not going to lose my boat. I'm like, well, I'm getting out of the boat. So I get out of the boat. Bubba gets out of the boat. Tony gets out of the boat because we're just, there's so much gas in the boat. All of a sudden, somebody on a jet ski pulls up. He's drunk out of his head, has a beer in his hand, and he says, you know what we can do? Hook the boat up to my jet ski, and I'll pull you all to shore. That sounds like a great idea. I know you're drunk, but we're desperate. So we tied the boat to the jet ski. He's pulling us. So me and Baba and Tony are on the back of the boat holding on because, you know, how fast can a jet ski go? Denny's on the jet ski with a drunk guy. I don't think my mom, who is here right now, knew any of this. I don't know. So we're going. This is great. We're going to get to shore. We're going to spare the boat. We are not a shipwreck. And all of a sudden, the boat starts coming out of the water a little bit more, a little bit more, and the water's flushing to the back. Is that the word, flushing or running to the back? And there's the hole. There's a hole. You're supposed to put a cork in. Somehow the cork came out, and that's where the water was coming in. Wow. Hey, we saw it because we're on the back of the boat holding on. Water's coming out in our face. Gas with it. We're holding on. It starts getting a little better. And Bubba has this wonderful idea because we're teenage boys. Let's make a chain. Let's make a chain. So he's holding on. Well, it's Tony and then Bubba, and then I'm the last one to hold on, and I'm scooting down Bubba's big body, holding on to his legs, and we're just going like this all the way down. I, I'm not kidding. This all happened. And then it happened. The worst thing of all happened. I had contacts. 
Water gets in my eyes. I can't see. My contacts fall out. I'm blind. And then I lose my pants. I'm not getting all of this happened. I'm pantsless. I have no ability to see where I'm at. Being pulled by a drunk guy, and all that could come to my mind is this. Don't let go. Because the cops will come back and find you naked in the water. Blind, and you won't even know they're there because you're so, I'm blind as a bat. So I held on and I said, Bubba, I lost my pants. He said, nobody's out here, man. We're in the middle of nowhere. This honest to God happened. We go around the bend and there's a campsite and everybody and their mother is having a fishing competition and they're all there and there's all my glory. But we got to shore and I didn't jump ship. I stayed in the water until they got me some new pants. But the reality was this. I didn't care if I was blind Stress, upset, embarrassed, I didn't care how bad it got. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to jump ship. I'll tell you, we all want to get to shore. We all want to survive a shipwreck life. But the other thing that's holding us back from doing it is, according to Paul in Acts chapter 27 and verse 28, it wasn't just about not jumping ship. But it's about not holding on to baggage. Don't hold on to baggage. The Bible says they were hungry. And in verse chapter 27 and verse 38, they ate. They ate enough until they basically were filled. And then to lighten the ship, they threw out the rest. Right before this, a few verses before this, they took the tackle and threw it out. And some of the baggage and threw it out. I'm going to tell you, if you want to survive a shipwreck life, you better learn very quickly. It's not just about not losing hope or not jumping ship, but it's also very important to understand not to hold on to baggage. <sighs> Let me do this. I, <clears throat> I think baggage starts when we're young. I mean, even as young as maybe five. And we're, we're going through life thinking everything's good, and then all of a sudden this kid at school, whatever reason, decides to say stuff that you could have never imagined anybody saying to you. And you have a half-inch gap in your teeth, and you're nearly bald as a kid, and you're thinking, I can't believe you just called me that, right? Then you pick up some baggage because it hurts and it sticks with you, right? And mom or maybe your dad has done something. I'm not saying my parents did this. I was very blessed, but I don't know where you're at. But something happened in your home. Something sexual happened when you were young something emotionally mental, some type of abuse. And you're carrying that luggage, that baggage. Man, it's heavy. And you're just a little person. And nobody knows it. Nobody understands it. And you feel like your life's falling apart. Literally a shipwreck life. And all of a sudden you're carrying this and then you get to your teenage years and it's like, man, things are good. But then you get in a relationship that's not good. And you pick up some more baggage. You're like, I thought this was going to be good for me. I thought this person was going to help me. I thought this person was going to be there for me. But instead, they robbed me of some things. They hurt me. And this baggage is here. And let me remind you, this baggage has not been just because somebody did something to you. Sometimes it's because we did something to ourselves. You all follow me? It's about making mistakes. Picking up baggage and saying, this was a stupid thing I did but you're holding on to it. 
and you beat yourself up every day and say, I should have never done that. I should have never done that. And you're like, I hate this. I hate this baggage. I hate it. Why do I have to carry this? So, well, I carry it because I don't know how else to live. I mean, this is my identity. This is who I am, right? I mean, I've always been like that. Ever since I was six, I've had baggage. And before you know it, you're carrying that. And then you, and then you go a little bit further in life. And then something happens. Your parents decide to split up. Or maybe there's somebody that comes in your family that wasn't a good uncle at all. They were a horrible person that did horrible things to you that nobody else knows. Made you, maybe you got in college and you made some decisions that nobody knows about and they were just awful decisions. You're like, hey, I guess I'll just keep on carrying this one too. I mean, who am I going to tell? Who could even understand where I'm at? And while you're doing that, remember a shipwrecked life is somebody that's just starving for answers. Like, I, I don't know what the answer is. What is the answer? What is the answer? You're starving for an answer. Y'all with me? But you're carrying the baggage anyway. And before you know it, you're not just stopping with your college years. You're continuing with your 20s and your 30s. You have kids and you have family. And along the way, you just keep on picking up more baggage. And it's heavy. And it's uncomfortable. And you feel like it's pulling you down because it is pulling you down. Because being part of a shipwreck life is having burdens that you can barely bear. But Jesus said it this way, and I love this. He said, come unto me, all you that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Shipwreck people are exhausted. They're weak. They're tired. They just want to rest. You know why they never get rest? After a Sunday service, after a good devotional? It's because they're still carrying the baggage. They still have the baggage. And they say, well, I wouldn't carry this baggage if it wasn't for so-and-so. They're the reason I have the baggage in my life. I just can't let it go. They've messed me up, and they're still, they're still there messing me up. Here's what the Bible says, Matthew chapter 1, verse 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of me. Learn who I am. Watch this, for I am meek. I'm meek. You know what that means? Sometimes it ain't about you. Well, look at all this. Well, wait, wait. Sometimes you've got to learn where they are, forgive them, and move on so you can get rid of some baggage. Yeah. Everybody in here at some point in your life probably met somebody that you wish never existed in your life. And maybe it's more than one. It's two, it's three, it's four. And you're thinking to yourself, man, God, I am trying to give you my burdens because they're killing me. They're so heavy. I mean, all these mistakes I've made, all these stupid decisions I've made, but I just don't know how to give it to you. And Jesus is trying to say, listen, part of giving it to me is learning to let go and forgive. Being meek and learning to walk away. And I love this because the Bible continues to say, lonely in heart and ye shall find rest unto your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The soldiers and all these men that were on the ship, 276 people, that's including Paul, they all had baggage. But what they did is this. The Bible says they ate, and then they threw out the rest. What does that mean? 
It means when it comes to your baggage, there's something very important for you to understand. We learn from our past mistakes, but we are not to hold on to them because eventually they'll sink us. We learn from our past mistakes, but we don't hold on to them because they'll sink us. Just like Paul pulled some rice and some food out of there, some wheat, and they ate. They learned, and then they removed. I've learned what not to be when I've looked at my past. I've learned the mistakes I've saw in other people's lives that affected me, and I've picked up their baggage because of it. But I also learned this. I'm not going to live this way. Because I have learned what they did was wrong and I won't do it the same way. I've learned what has happened to me was wrong. And I'll apply those principles of how to save my children, my children's children from that. But I will not let it control me. I take what I need and remove the rest. What's happening is you're still holding on to all of it. Oh man, I was hurt so bad. Let me tell you how I was hurt. And maybe it'll help you. But not only am I going to tell you how I was hurt, but I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to it because it dominates me, controls me. It's everything. It makes me angry and frustrated. But let me tell you something. It finally got to the point that they got off of the boat and headed to an island called Malta. And because of that, they all had to make a decision to leave the baggage behind because nobody can swim with the baggage because the baggage would sink them. And the Bible says that all 276 men made it to the shore safe. I love verse 44. And they escaped all safe to the land. Let me tell you something. This is beautiful. Malta means refuge. They made it to the refuge because they did it God's way and they didn't hold on to the baggage. They literally had to say, I can't take this. But wait, wait, wait. Wait, I don't know about this one. I'm going to hold on to this one, but I am not going to. I guess I'll have to let this one go. I'm going to hold on to this one, but I'll let this one go. And I'll say this. If you don't let it all go, you're still going to sink. Or you may not even make it to the island because something is still weighing you down. Refuge is not the name of the island or the meaning of the island by chance. That was by the design of God to say and make a point to those people. I am the God of Paul. And not only can I save him from a shipwreck life, but I can save the rest of you 275 men. All you have to do is let go of all of your baggage and trust me and I will be your refuge. And the Bible says the people of that land cared for them, supplied their needs. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? You may not have a shipwreck life, but you're on the verge of one. And I am challenging you to heed warning and stay the course. Stay the course. Don't drift. Hey, listen to me. It's vitally important for you to understand if you are living a shipwreck life, then this is what you've got to do. You've got to keep the hope. Don't lose hope. Don't jump ship. It's not over. Please, I'm begging you. If there's something you're holding on to, if there's baggage in your life, I'm asking you right now, whatever that baggage is, whatever you're dealing with, right now, just let it go. Let it go. 
I'm going to have you stay in your seat with your head bowed, and I'm going to just have them sing softly and quietly. And as they sing, I'm going to ask you personally to get real with God.